What up, y'all? Welcome to Queer Walk the Podcast. This is Money, your friendly, problematic loin holder. Is that what we call it? What did you no, call it? it Counter-revolutionary was... loin owner. <laughs> Whatever. You going to say what that what that means? It's your term. You the one that said you had you had to decolonize your loins. I do need to. I need to decolonize my desires, as Ahmad would say. Why? You know why? Let's not do this on the podcast. Oh, because you have a, a very, very specific kind of type. I don't know who I am this week. This week, so I'm Nikita, who I am every week. <laughs> and I am your friendly neighborhood. I'm your I'm your friendly neighborhood short stuff. Short stuff? Yeah. <laughs> what did you say to me earlier tonight? I don't remember. Well, I I vividly remember. Then why did you ask me? Because I wanted you to have a little decency and take some initiative in how you treat me. Anyway, I I let Martinique borrow my car. She was driving it. She picks me up. And she immediately goes to the passenger side. And I'm like, oh, you don't want to drive? And she's like, no, your car is just like you, little and sensitive. <laughs> it's true. All right. No lies detected. Okay. <laughs> Short in stature, big in personality, and I'm not sensitive. All right. You are the most sensitive you don't, person. Okay. That is a lie. What? So what What would be, what would you rather be if you're saying you're not sensitive? I'm tough as nails. You're unscathed. Not, and that is dehumanizing. <laughs> okay, okay. Now you're going to be. All right. I see. Don't you try to politicize this bullshit. Anyway. Wait, drop the motherfucking intro. (laughs) (laughs) Are you done? (laughs) Okay, I'm going to have to edit the shit out of this. You are. Love your chocolate demeanor and your cocoa kisses. I see your flow from a distance. Your vibe inside my submission. I give you all of me. Wanna make you proud of me. We see the God in all you do. Your light is harmony. Every type, darkest night, brightest light. I'm loving your soul. They hate you, replace you, take you, but know that you go. Worldwide from every continent. I just want you to jig a little bit. Move them hips, feel that bliss. Hug your sis, make a fist. Don't resist your temptation. You amazing, no limitation. My favorite in this matrix. We move by your vibration and that's love. I hope you hear that on the daily, cause baby you love. I hope you hear that on the daily, cause baby you love. I hope you hear that on the daily, cause baby you love. You love. Hey. I hope you hear that on the daily. Alright, so let's keep moving right along. I'm Where can they t- find us? I'm so happy that you asked. So y'all can find us on Instagram at Queer Walk Pod. Y'all can find us on Twitter, also Queer Walk, at Queer Walk Pod. And you can also head over to QueerWalk.com. Where it all started. And you can email us at QueerWalkPod at gmail.com. You can send recommendations for topics, Queer Walks of the Week. If you just want to say hey, because when we check the email, it's usually kind of quiet over there, tumbleweeds. Yeah. So, yeah. And you can find me. I think we should put our personal ones, too, because I noticed that, you know, I've been getting some follows, and I was like, oh, we don't ever put our personal things. Yeah. 
And that's probably good. So we, um, the uh, Queer Walk um, account can stop getting all of your thirst DMs. I, first of all, I don't get thirst yes, DMs. Yes, you do. Why are you out here slandering me in these <laughs> that's, SoundCloud all, all the messages that we get on our Instagram are just always finding I cannot take the disrespect you. from my it's co-host. True. It's true. They're just like, oh, you're so amazing. Oh, my God. First of all, because I am. They're just recognizing sure. greatness. Don't nobody say nothing about me. You're new. <laughs> okay. I've been on this shit for how long now? <laughs> Your presence has been felt. Anyway, the point is, let's give them our personal Twitter accounts so we can stop, so people can stop jamming up the Queer Walk (laughs) Instagram with thirst (laughs) traps for money. What's so wrong with that? Ain't nothing wrong with it, but I I live live in a shallow dating pool, okay? The point remains, every now and then, maybe I want to see a thirst trap for me, okay? (laughs) You don't need them. (laughs) What's your personal <laughs> Instagram? Uh, and Twitter. You can, you can find me everywhere at Melanated Money, and you can find me at Afro Blazing Guns. Pow pow. I was waiting for it. All right. Um. And so, oh, we we have to do an update on the goals that we set for the end of the year. You getting ahead of you getting ahead of the program because we got to tell people. Would you they stop can calling it a program? <laughs> <laughs> I'll call it the show. All right. You can also listen to the podcast wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. <laughs> Such as Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud.com, or Google Play. Or Stitcher. Stitcher. All right. So now can we do the update? Yes, 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 yes. Okay, so we, y'all know we had goals. We had end of the year goals. We tried to get our iTunes ratings up to 25 by December 31st. Y'all came through and smashed that goal. Yay! Yeah. So um, right now we are right at 25. So it yes. looks like we are going to be exceeding our year-end goals. So thank you all so much for showing us love. Uh, continue writing reviews and giving us ratings on um, iTunes. Yes. So now we got to up it because we've already yes. met this goal. We got to keep climbing. I said we should try to do 50 since 50? you smashed. I mean, what's... You know, you shoot for the, what is it? You shoot for the stars and you land on a cloud? I, I think you land on the moon. No, it's like you shoot for the stars. You no, land- you shoot for the moon. And if you miss, you land amongst the stars. Um, I like landing on the cloud better. I don't want to land on no fucking cloud. <laughs> well, what's the new goal, Nikita? We said 40. Okay. Because we just, within two weeks, we got seven. Right. Um, We feel like 40 is doable. Yeah. But if you want to prove me right, I think we could do 50 by December 31st. They came through. They, they showed did. up they for did. us. So if y'all just like get your friends to rate the podcast, I think we could smash 50. Smash, 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 smash. <laughs> in terms of, in terms of <laughs> sure. the goals. No, no, no. <laughs> um, and an update on the Patreon goals. So we had... Uh, uh, end of the year goal of to be at 10, 10 patrons. And right now, we're at 8. Right! So we just we just climbing on along, just reaching for the stars. Yes. We only need two more patrons to reach our end of the year goal. Dos mas. Yeah, so shout out to y'all for helping us with those goals. And uh, for those who are new, or just in case you forgot, uh, let me just go ahead and remind y'all where y'all can donate. 
you can go to paypal.me slash queerwalk and then you can also donate to us on patreon become a patron uh p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash queerwalk pod so uh, keep coming through we need more patrons we're very excited and remember we got goals yes and the probably the fastest way you can donate is to use the hashtag use the hashtag. that way we're more visible we show up in more searches like we said before y'all know how hard it is to find cupot community um so let some of your folks know that we're here Estamos aquí. all right so <laughs> you want to move on along the queer walk of the week yeah you go ahead and start um so we have two queer walks a week this week two yeah well, three ish right yeah okay so the first well it's actually a list but i'm just gonna highlight uh one um so lambda literary did a list of queer uh filipino or philippinix philippinex philippinex um poets and there's a lot of baddies on the list but Mm -hmm. i just Mm -hmm. wanted to highlight um angela penyaredondo yeah, that looks right. Pena Redondo. Pena Redondo. Yes. Because this quote I really loved. And so I was like, oh, I'm, I'll highlight her on the list. But I'll post the link so you can check the whole list out because there's a lot of baddies. Whew. And I'm sure their poetry is amazing, too. Um, just from the quotes. Um, so Angela's quote is, as a queer first generation person of color, much of my art, aesthetic, and politic comes from a space of exile mm. and a search for home that embraces all of my fragmented and hybridized selves. And I just did an audible snap when I read that quote. Um, I think that encompasses the whole spirit of why I even created Queer Walk. Right. And feeling like you're sick of leaving parts of yourself yes. out of spaces. Yes. Like, um, yeah. And so I just wanted to highlight her because of that quote. So, yeah. Yes. Queer Walk of the Week. Angela Pena Redondo. Awesome. So, so who you got? I don't like how you ask. <laughs> anyway, the next queer you walk. You know we really be competing, low key, of who can find the best queer walk of the week material. Yeah, I mean, you. I, I don't think it's a competition because I still think you're trying to redeem yourself for Burger King Bay. <laughs> All right, moving right along. All right, so the next queer walk of the week you're, is. You're fired. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> The next queer walk of the week, like I was saying, is Rutina Wesley. Yes, Rutina. So, uh, Rutina uh, is an actress. Uh, she's been in True Blood. You said she was who? Tara May. Tara May. I never watched True Blood, so I don't How know. How did you not watch True Blood? I missed it. And she's also. <laughs> all, all seven seasons? <laughs> all seven seasons. And she's also Nova in Queen Sugar. I've seen a little bit. I haven't seen Queen Sugar. I've seen at all. Queen Sugar. Also, um,. Rutina Wesley, it's just fine as shit. Yeah. And we can't not um, say that. Just bad for no reason. Anyway. Damn. Her skin looks like. It's just luscious. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's just like perfection. She she never, like, had a scraped knee as a kid. Yeah. It's just smooth. She's, she's yeah, she's really stunning, actually. Uh, anyway, um, she just got engaged to her um, uh, partner, her girlfriend, uh, who's a chef. Apparently, she's a chef on set Mm -hmm. um, in New Orleans, and the chef's name is Chef Shonda. Yes. And Chef Shonda is fine as shit, too. So, shout out to them getting married, just being beautiful, black, you know, amazing, gorgeous, and stunning. So, 
I'm sure they're going to make delicious meals together. Are we talking about food or? Yeah, she's a chef. Oh. Chef Shonda. Oh, sh- yeah, that's what I meant too. Nothing lewd. All right. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, she's from New Orleans. <sighs> I need to go to New Orleans. Well, before we go to New Orleans, let's go ahead to our <laughs> next. <laughs> I really don't like you. Our next segment. So, uh, just I, the only thing I wanted to say was that um, apparently uh, Rutina put up a picture on Instagram and had this really long and gushy, overflowing uh, caption about on the tip of my tongue. That's the that is part of the caption. Did it say that? Oh. Yes. I mean, I would pull it up to read it. It's, it was quite long. That's yeah. It was pretty long, but it was all of that. Well, well, go ahead. Uh, we'll post a link to. Um, <laughs> The the Instagram post, and you can read the long, racy caption uh, yourself. So, again, shout out to Retina, and again, shout out to Angela. Cool uh, Rocks of the Week. We, we should start a, a campaign so that we could be invited to the wedding. <gasps> How do we? Yes. <laughs> you know, the the black lesbian community ain't but that big. It's a, it's probably like a half a degree of separation. I, yeah. I'm, I'm sure somebody listening is like, oh, yeah. That's my cousin. <laughs> Tina. <laughs> <laughs> they probably call her Ruth. Okay. Shonda. Shonda. You mean Big Shonda? Oh, shit. Yeah, come on down. Yeah. We, we really need to campaign for that. Yes. We, we should do live coverage of the wedding. <laughs> and the church is just chock full of baddies. Back to you, money. <laughs> All right, let's go to community, community contributors. contributors. Why are you pointing at me? I don't have any on my end. Oh. I'm just feeling, re- I'm just gesticulating. Well, uh, the only community contributor I wanted to shout out was my mama. Oh, yeah, what did Sharon say? Yes, so my mama listened to the last episode, and I want to read her comment verbatim, because, you know, she's extra, and if I don't get it right, she'll leave another comment. My mama wrote, don't be jealous because I pronounce my words correctly. And in my best Medea voice, I'm going to get y'all. <laughs> <laughs> so, I love you, Mommy. And thank you so much for supporting all of my shenanigans. We just, yeah, we just love you from head to toe, Miss yes, Sharon. The best mama. We have these new ratings. Oh, the new ratings. So, yeah, well, let's start there. The first review is from Rich West 07. This review actually tickled me. And so it's the the title of it is Baby You Loved, and you'll probably catch that from the intro. Shout out to Truth. But the review says, podcast is great, but listen. The intro song, can you pull that up one episode and just run it back? I get my whole life to that intro. I need that on all my playlists. Running playlists, Sunday morning playlists. Christmas playlist, Christmas. alarm tone, everything. <laughs> Where can I get that? Burr, 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 burr. <laughs> um, yeah, so like I've said, episode after episode, Truth is the artist behind the intro track, and she's dope as fuck. You can check her music out at Truth is PS, and her most recent stuff will be under Mother Nature because she's in a group with clever knox who's also a dope lyricist um i would suggest following them on instagram because they're also both baddies 
Um, that's just a aside. <laughs> An aside. <laughs> <laughs> they find a shit too. But um, yeah, so I'll post the link to her music. Um, and yeah, I'm eternally grateful for yeah. her doing that bomb ass intro. It's so it's yeah. so good. Thanks, True. The next uh, review comes from Kihira Kahara, and they say this is dope. And they go on to say, I really like listening to this show. Not sure how I found it, but I'm glad I did. I feel like I'm listening to a convo between friends. Plus, Money has a really cute voice and laugh. Just wanted to what? fly Why through that. You... Let <laughs> Again. Me... I'm pretty sure it's Kiara. Kiara. I think that's that. how it's pronounced. I really like listening to the show. Not sure how I found it, but I'm glad I did. I feel like I'm listening to a convo between friends. Plus. Money has a really cute voice and laugh. Smiling face. So that's very sweet, but what we're not going to do is turn all this shit into thirst traps for money. we just we just not going to do it. Nikita, I deserve. You do. I feel like I put enough thirst into the universe all to right. get some back. All right. Touche, touche. Have you seen my lock screen? <laughs> okay. I'm going to do this. Yeah. So... Thank you, Kiara. So thank you, Kiara. Thank you, uh, and this Rich is a conversation seven. between friends because it is. you know before Nikita was anything else, <laughs> she that didn't sound right. Wow, before, she was she was a low life worthless bitch. That's that not was what the, I meant. Was that the subtext? No, the subtext was before you were ever involved with Queer Walk. You were my bestie. The ace one from day one. Yes. Thank you. So, yeah. It just feels really comfortable to talk to her. I feel like I have to edit a lot more now because I laugh for like 10 minutes at a time. It's a lot more joyous on the podcast now. I will say that. It is. It is. And not only is it joyous on the podcast, this is going to sound so cliche and so ridiculous, but I feel like it's brought so much joy to my life. It has. It's so good. I really look forward to it. I would say that... The the social capabilities that you possess have greatly <laughs> improved. Okay. It was, I mean, you were almost there and then we just, <laughs> and then we just went awry. So I'm going to shut you down and then I'm going to give a shout so out. You're so introverted, Nikita. I, I am. Like something cracked when we, <laughs> like your shell Cracked wide open when we did that live show, and you have not gone back in it, and it's beautiful to watch. Okay, I, I okay, you find your way back. That I appreciate that. That's very sweet. You were painfully introverted before. I'm still painfully introverted. It doesn't seem as much. Okay, you, you. Sorry, there's just a a, a cat situation. Because <laughs> <laughs> I have two cats now. Yeah. Okay. Um. Did you have any more community contributions? I just wanted to shout out um our two new patrons. Oh so, yes. So, um, the only other um, community contributors I wanted to shout out were our new patrons. So, shout out to Fabiola. Fabi! Fabi. <laughs> um, another queer walk extraordinaire. And then, also shout out uh, to, to my good friend, uh, Kiafa. Hey, Kiafa. So, yeah. Thank you to our new Why patrons. Why are you saying, like, I don't know her? My good friend, Kiafa. Okay, I'm sorry. It's okay. Am I, am I going to get flogged <laughs> for that? or? <laughs> no, I'm just saying. And I like how we have friends who, like, ride for us. Yeah. Man, I'm just feeling so good. Yay! All right. So next, we are moving on to my favorite segment. 
It's the mental moment with money. You caught that? What was that? No, I didn't. It was Jodeci, Phoenix. Oh, I did not catch that at all. You mean, you got me, Phoenix? Yeah, they start at the beginning. How does it go? Phoenix! No, how does it go at the beginning? Take my money, my house and my cars. Is that how it starts? Yeah. So, you see, he was like, take my house and my money. I'm like, it's the mental moment with money. It was a stretch. <laughs> okay. Well. Um, so, today, y'all, well, I, I think I should preface this with, I've had a shit day. Yeah, yeah. So, it's been rough. So, I don't know if it's coming across so far. Somebody's been like, what the fuck is wrong with money? But, um, I just have a lot on my heart right now. Um, and so, this is not going to be... I guess, a, well, I shouldn't say a typical because I throw all kind of shit at y'all for the mental moment because, you know, mental health is not one lane. Uh, so I just wanted to give a couple suggestions. Um, so the first is, okay, so today, like in the middle of seeing clients and having clients cancel on me, I listened to another round, like in between sessions. Another round is a podcast, if y'all don't know. Um, I listen to it on Spotify because they stopped posting it on SoundCloud. So I don't know if they post it anywhere oh. else. Maybe iTunes. I'm not an iTunes person. That's your forte. But I listen to another round <laughs> podcast on Spotify. Um, and the newest episode, episode 110, uh, it's called Wheat Grassing Your Ass, but it's uh, featuring Jennifer Lewis. Oh, my God. And for those of you who might be like, why does that name sound familiar? It's because she's played literally everybody's Every, mama. Yeah. And she is currently Dre's mama on Blackish. Uh, so I just love her, first of all. But this interview with her was so fantastic. I was in tears, like, crying. Laughing, first of all, because she is She's hilarious. hilarious. <laughs> Fucking racism. I ain't gonna stop. <laughs> um, but also, I was crying like thug tears because she talked very openly about um, her mental health yeah. and being in therapy and coming back from that, having really horrible relationships with men, which, I mean, I can't relate there, but... I think everybody can relate to having relationship struggles. One thing that she said was, don't ever move nobody in with you because it's too hard to move them out. Mm. And <laughs> I felt that on a <laughs> spiritual level. Deep level. <laughs> Whoa. She was all up in your Kool-Aid and had your flavor. Yes. I was like, well, drag me then. <laughs> um, but yeah, there, I, there was just a moment in there where she was talking about her mental health um, that really stood out to me because y'all know I'm a Tumblr host. So I be on Tumblr and... I see people posting things like, oh, uh, my therapist, I, I have depression. So my therapist told me to, um, you know, go do yoga. And now I'm just in downward dog, violently depressed. And uh, I've also talked to friends this week who have been like, um, yeah, girl, I went to therapy. But I mean, all she do is just sort of sit there and tell me things that I already know. And something that Jennifer Lewis said in this interview on another round that really stood out to me was that she was going to therapy for, with the same therapist for five years before she ever started medi medication for having bipolar disorder. And so that stood out to me because <laughs> the, the thing that makes, well, one of the elements, um, 
Research suggests that it makes up about a third of the outcome of therapy is actually consistency. And mm. I think people give up on yeah. therapy way wow. too soon because you you expect the medical model. You expect to walk into a room, tell somebody what's wrong, and for you to get a magic fix and walk out and be fine. Um, that's just not how mental health works. Think it, the, the operative word is health. If, if you think about... You wouldn't go um, run for two days and think you would be able to do a marathon yeah. on the third day. It's the same thing with mental health. You can't show up the first day. Usually the first day is the most awkward, just speaking from both sides as a client and a therapist, that that's usually the intake day. I don't know this bitch. You don't know me either. And, you know, and it's awkward. Don't give up after that time. Jennifer Lewis talked about being in therapy five years before she saw benefits from it. Um, research suggests, uh, there was one study actually that I wanted to cite because it was actually a study that included people of color, which is rare in counseling. (laughs) Um, but the journal of counseling psychology did uh, a study in 2011. They found that clients reported feeling benefits of therapy between sessions seven and 10. So that's two and a half months right there. If I'm seeing you weekly, seven to 10 sessions. Um, so that's why I wanted to highlight that episode of Another Round and also because it's really soothing for your heart to hear Jennifer Lewis laugh yeah. and, and to also um, tell you that racism is not going to fuck with you in these streets and all of that amazing stuff. Love her to pieces. And so check out that episode. I'll put the link in the description box. And so as my second thing for the mental moment, don't give up on therapy. Continue to go. I needed that word. That's so good. I've been, um, I just had therapy yesterday mm-hmm. and that, that bitch is good. <laughs> is this black woman? <laughs> oh, I, and I, I, know, I yes. was in there the other day and she was just like, and like, it, at first it was really expensive. And then mm-hmm. she was like, you know, we can lower the price. Cause she was, and she was basically getting at what you're saying. She was like, I know that the price is expensive, so we don't get to see each other as much. But she was like, in order for this to work, she's mm-hmm. like, we have to, like, it has to be, like, routine and we have to be consistent. Yeah. And so I love my therapist to pieces. I think that she's amazing. And um, so I just really, it, but even still, even though she's great, sometimes I'm just like, oh, I'm fine. I don't need it. I'll yep. just keep going. Or I don't feel that great after this session. I don't know if, you know, maybe this or that. Uh, wasn't helpful, but it, it's like a relationship. You just have yes, to work right. at it. So yeah. I really appreciate um, mm-hmm. what you're saying. That's, that really resonates with me. And I love me some Jennifer Lewis. Yes. <laughs> oh, thanks. I'm glad it resonated. Yeah, because, it was very good. Um, I think, and thinking about why I became a therapist, like the whole reason was because I wanted to help folks like me. And mm-hmm. I'm like, there's just not enough therapists who share my identities, who share my passions for things in the world. Um, and so I want folks to have somebody that they can relate to to talk to and so it helped me to think that like 60% of therapy um therapy when people say it helped me 60% of that is made up by that relationship wow and and a therapy relationship is the only relationship where you can really be 100% and completely selfish in it yeah like, it is for your benefit and so you get to like try out all these ways to be in relation with other people yeah. with your therapist with like no repercussions to you and then, you know, like I said, like a third is made up of that consistency. Like how much um, effort really are you putting in on your end to show up, to, to do it on a regular basis, to be meeting at the same time, just getting in that routine. And only about 10% is really made up by like 
the therapist's um, theoretical orientation oh, wow. and how they approach um, sessions. So, huh. I mean, on the high end, estimates are like 20%, but mm-hmm. that's still not a lot. It's still not a lot. So, it gives me hope that as long as I'm a good person and I care about my clients, right. <laughs> that they will get something out of this. That's so, great. Yeah. I was talking to someone the other day, and they were like, it's really helpful. There's, like, practical tools. Yeah, that's what I like doing. I like, because, so, I just said this to one of my clients today, that so much of therapy is not tangible. You're just like, I know something's happening, because I, like, I feel my mood is changing, but if somebody asks me, like, oh, what's your therapist do? Like, bitch, I don't know. Like, so I (laughs) like. just talking. Yeah. (laughs) So I like to give people, like. ABCs, one, two, threes, mnemonic devices, things that they... Because I, I also only see you an hour a week. Yeah, yeah. And so when you're not here, I want you to be able to, like, grab the things that we do here that makes you feel better yeah. and take them into your life. Oh, man. Yeah. You know, I try to be a good therapist. You are. You Niggas just... ungrateful. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> Don't fire me. This week's episode is brought to you by Neoliberal Capitalism. So I would say that this is my favorite segment because you be just schooling. All right. So this is this is a a big one. There's a lot to talk about. Yeah. And think about here, but Again, um, this is not this is not a dissertation. This is not some kind of thesis. Um, this is just um, us trying to break down uh, concepts and terms that you know people um, throw around, throw around, and that you might have heard, and that I think also and most importantly have some kind of impact on our lives. Mm-hmm. So let's try to let's try to break some things down up in here through when we talk about neoliberalism or neoliberal capitalism. So neoliberalism and neoliberal capitalism are the same thing? Yeah, they're the same thing. Okay. But um so I'm with you. Okay. <laughs> as the as the old preacher would say, are you walking with me? <laughs> <laughs> so the the first thing um well the reason why it's important um I was talking to uh, our friend Jaffe about this last night. It's really helpful to make the point that there's a lot of folks who use the term neoliberalism, um, and they use it as a way to try to get away from talking about capitalism. Mm. So the reason why it's important to say neoliberal capitalism is that that really underscores that this is a specific phase of capitalism. So we always Mm -hmm. want to make sure that that kind of critique of capitalism is always front and center. But when you hear the word neoliberalism, your your first thought might be, well, what the fuck is neo about yeah. it? What's new about What's it? What's new, yeah. So this is where we have to talk about what exactly do we mean um, by liberalism, specifically classical liberalism. So we have to break down the difference between classical uh um, liberalism, that's, and that's not what we generally think of when we're talking about liberalism in America, right? American political liberalism, where it's like, you know, there's liberals, the liberals and, cons- and conservatives. Yeah. Uh-huh. So that's, that's actually not what we're talking about. And so we're not going to get into the nitty gritty about it, but when we talk about classical liberalism, we're talking about old school, um, um, kind of like old school dead white dudes that, that did this field of study called political economy. So what the fuck is political economy? Basically, a rough and dirty definition of political economy is goods 
and services are produced in a society. So there's like the economic part. Mm -hmm. And then you have the whole political and ideological structures that justify that mode of um, producing. So that's just to give like a quick concrete example, in order to have slavery, you know, here in the U.S., the the mode, the economic um, engine of slavery is, of course, the theft of labor and mm -hmm. treating um, people, specifically black people, as property. So what are all of the political and ideological justifications mm. for, to, for in order to main that system? This is where you get the history and the construct of race mm -hmm. and racism and then in and then you have to make it so that they're treated as property. So then you get into law. And so like the laws then justify um, that this. So again, you have slavery. And then again, there's the ideas about who's considered a human being and then um, who's considered property. That's like the political part. Does that, does that make sense? Is that helpful? Yes. The way capitalism developed in this country is also to blame for, like, who gets considered a citizen. Exactly. Who gets thought exactly. of as an American. Exactly. All of that is tied to justifying, like, capitalism. Yeah. Because if, if we make it so that the indigenous people were never here. Yeah. And can't be a part of this, like, country that we built sure. over them. And that black people aren't citizens because they're property. Then, you know... All of that racism gets justified in the process. So, again, you walking with me. Let's keep going. <laughs> <laughs> so, to go back to the point. So, that's what political economy is. And so, when we're talking about classical, liberal, political the economy. economy makes it political. Ah, you, you're fucking with me. <laughs> but anyway, basically. The, Damn, I feel smart. <laughs> the whole idea behind classical liberalism is that it, there's like a gross fetishization of markets. So, it's like. The market, it's it's through the market where people are going to get their goods and, and their, their needs met. And, and there's also inherent in this idea is that there's like competition is good, yes. right? And so those are basically like um, the, the cornerstones of like classical um, political economy. So, I mean, it's not that uh, AT&T is bad. The The problem is that there's not enough other companies exactly. that can compete with them. Oh, right. that's, that's see, it. Boom. That's okay. it. And so, um, so that's the classical idea. Mm -hmm. And then what happens, and this is kind of a historical point. So when we get to like the 19, uh, so like the classical, um, political economists are like 19th century. So like John Stuart Mill, these again, old white dudes and Marx is a political economist. Um, again, Adam, uh, what's his name? Wealth of Nations, Adam Smith. Either way, this is this is not this is not the crux of what we need to know. But when we go into the 1930s, we all know that there's that Great Depression, mm -hmm. right? And so everything's in complete and utter um, shambles. And so when we so the crisis, the response to the crisis of 1930s, and this is where we get into more like the American liberalism as we tend to know it. So where and um, the approach then to the response to the crisis was, OK, there needs to be um, some kind of move towards full employment. There needs to be a burgeoning of the welfare state. So this is where you get like the New Deal reforms. And again, as we've mentioned in other episodes, we can't forget that there are some huge exclusions in some of those um, New Deal um, protections. Um, right. So, again, it's about it's about expanding like social welfare, social welfare 
and um, bringing back like, this notion of um, like the public. So like, again, public mm-hmm. jobs, public right. assistance, and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So that happens from, so that's, they call that Keynesianism, that welfare state capitalism is happening from about 1930s to about 1970s. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm just going to focus on the U.S. here. But again, capitalism is always international. And there's so many examples of this similar kind of trends happening elsewhere. So you, you have uh, the welfare state capitalism from 1930s to the 1970s, late 1970s and um, the early 80s. And then you have another crisis of capitalism. And so the response to to that crisis of capitalism in the 1970s and the 1980s, so we this is where we talk about like Reaganism. Mm-hmm. But it's important to think about it's important to put Reagan within like a broader context of neoliberalism. And so Reagan was all about um trickle the trickle down like yeah. economics and then you mm-hmm. also have um what's her face in the UK Margaret Thatcher where she yeah. says there is no like alternative mm-hmm. and so this is where we start to see um the beginning of uh of neoliberalism in the late 70s and the early 80s so what i want to do here is to just talk about what the ideas of the what the neoliberals say that their ideas are and then to talk about how those things actually come out in practice. So the the whole idea around um, neoliberalism is that it was kind of trying to go back to this, um, the ideas of like old school classical liberalism, where it's like, again, we need to, the markets need to be unfettered. They, they don't need to be regulated. So we need to get rid of, and so you see these things where like people are trying to get rid of, um, like protections for the environment, protections mm-hmm. for workers, and they say all of that stuff is a hindrance to the market. To, to the market, My right? And so, and so, what they and and again, going back to what what the um what the political and economic trends were in the 1930s, there was direct intervention from the government, right? So it's like the government needs to be producing jobs. The government needs to be producing uh, public housing. You know, the government needs to be um, producing some kind of social welfare. And so the neoliberals say that they just want the free reign of the markets and they don't want any state intervention. They always want deregulation, right? We always hear, let's, let's leave it to the market. Again, that's the idea, but then that's actually, we see that that's actually not what happens in reality. So there's, again, we see right now, currently, probably the best iteration of how we see that this is not true is in the, um, everybody's talking about the, um, like the new tax bill. Mm -hmm. And so what the, the, the trends that we've been seeing since the 1970s is there's so they do believe in state intervention and they do believe in um using the state to basically give welfare to the people at the top yeah. right and so that's what these tax cuts are about so it's like on again they say that they don't want any state intervention but it's it, it's important to be clear they don't want state intervention on behalf of, of the most marginalized yeah. and the most oppressed yes. boom you you still walking with me and then we could also see that in the financial crash of 2008, who got the bailout in the 2008? Banks. It was the the people that fucking that banks. ran the yeah. the fucking economy into yeah. the ground. Those were the people that got the um, bank bail. Yeah. Those were the people that got the bailouts. It wasn't the homeowners, specifically like yeah. the black folks who were hit worse mm-hmm. um, in the financial crisis of 2008. Those weren't the people who got any kind of um, bailout. Any kind of bailout. With this theme about the the direct intervention of 
um, the state. I mean, we see um, the movement for black lives. It's been talking about state sanctioned violence. And it's important for us to see this uh, within um, a broader, uh, within the broader trend. So again, we've seen that the, the, the state has been totally enlarged, right? I mean, not only does um, um, the U.S. have the, the hugest like uh, incarc- uh, population or percentage of its uh, population incarcerated, but the state is it's almost in, ev- in almost every facet of society, right? So you think about a quote-unquote school resource officer. Why are there... Um, why are there police officers in in schools, in schools? Mm-hmm. or um, why is you know another arm of the state child protective services? Why is that? Why are the, those arms? They're the tentacles of the state are, again are in, in, encroached in almost mm-hmm. so in so many different facets of our lives. But yet again, neoliberals say that we need to the state needs to be um, dwindled down and the, the role of the state needs to be diminished. But yet we see it encroaching upon every. Um, you know, people's lives. And another example that we think about, why is it the role of the police to intervene when people are having mental health crises? Right? And so, again, pointing out the... Go ahead. Like, uh, I was just thinking, like, universities uh, being militarized. And with the ROTC, um, you know, a certain university in the Northeast region is, like, trying to be the number one premier university for veterans. Exactly. like, in itself... It's like, okay, yes, veterans need educations. And it militarizes the university. And there's, um, you know, on Wednesdays, you can't go on campus without seeing, like, full military regalia and all of that stuff. It it has this huge presence on campus of the state. Definitely. The the nation state. And even with the football protests, I mean, there was reports coming out, I think, it was in like the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. That's the, prior to the early 2000s, people weren't even um, like the whole like national anthem and the patriotism mm-hmm. thing wasn't mm-hmm. like a huge part yeah. of. So again, you see like the ever widening um, mm-hmm. encroachment the of the state. military actually uh, like funds that. Right, exactly. Yeah. <coughs> Wild. And so uh, the next point um, that I want to go to when we talk about um, neoliberalism is. Um, there's this idea. So one of the theorists, um, it's important to point out that a lot of these uh, theorists that, you know, are putting forward like, you know, neoliberal ideas came out of the Chicago uh, School of Economics. So that's where you have your Milton Friedman's, your Friedrich Hayek's, and there's this another guy named uh, Gary Becker. And so he has this whole idea of human capital. And basically what that goes down to is that Everything is about the individual. And it's like you have to develop your quote-unquote human capital. And that's how you get to be successful in society. And so, again, going back to what the trends were um, in the 30s, where, again, broadening access to, you know, things that are social and public and collective. Um, It's really important. And I I was mentioning that one of the the key, you know, political figures um, that was um, key in like pushing and advancing neoliberalism is Margaret Thatcher. And so she has this quote where she says, there is no society. There are only individuals. And so it's a very like individualistic kind of, and we know this is pull yourself up um, by your bootstraps. And so again, Gary Becker has this idea that we all need to develop our human capital. 
And the way, um, and so that's the idea. And I think one of the ways I especially um, see this in my day-to-day, especially in my work life, is that there are all these agencies, they're called workforce development agencies. Mm -hmm. And this Mm -hmm. is where you go, and they're supposed to help you, they their stated purpose is to help you be more marketable yeah. on the um, mm-hmm. in the labor force, mm-hmm. right? But that's not the same thing as the as like a a federal program that would guarantee jobs yeah. for people, and um, and so there and because it's not in the employer's interest to train people on the job because that takes time and that takes money. So it's uh, it's on your individual. It's it's up to you as an individual to get the training. Uh, right. To, yeah. And instead of, and again, instead of a society mm-hmm. or instead of the state actually providing right. you a job or other kinds yeah. of material necessities right. that you need um in order to live. And so related to that uh point about like individuals that it's all about a lot of things about um neoliberalism there's this language around choice right i was just thinking that and so it's like we're all individuals yeah. and we have our own free choice but it's really important and i think one of the places that we see this uh, most acutely is in um, a lot of the attacks on schools and again because schools are public and we've already made clear that you know neoliberalism is basically attack on any notion Mm -hmm. of the public or any kind of social good um there is a whole idea around school choice Mm -hmm. right and so the idea is that and again and it goes back into the ideas about competition and you say there's some schools that are good and there's some schools that are failing and it's and the schools need to compete and the schools that are good you know they continue and the schools that are quote-unquote failing they close and and even using the logic of choice well how come i don't have the choice for my neighborhood school to remain open right right. Right? and this is what um workers in like the chicago teachers union and all across you know Mm -hmm. uh workers and uh educators all around you know the country are saying you know and again going back to the idea about direct investment the schools are failing because they're not properly properly invested in because they've given up or it's not within like the neoliberal Mm -hmm. paradigm to actually invest in the notion in anything public or social it it just like reminds me so much of alabama and how um at post post well desegregation that's what it's called white flight happened and so you when you were talking about like no state intervention like the taxes that those wealthier white people and not that like wealth is inherently sure. a white thing, but because of racism and the way it was set right. up, it's like those white people took their taxes and left these schools to fail. Right. And so it, that is state intervention when you're um, like counting children and their household incomes in order to fund schools, you get these wealthy school districts. Exactly, because right. it's a totally fundamentally unjust way right. of funding schools. What point? And then you pluck out the talented ones from the underperforming schools and put them in these areas where they're going to face more discrimination exactly. because there are less folks who look like them. And so, yeah. And ahead. actually, the <laughs> other point that I want to make on this um, notion around choice and the attacks on any notion of social or public, and you know, you're talking about where people live, I feel like one of the key ways um, that, you, that we've seen these attacks um, is on public housing. Because now all... The kind, the quote unquote mixed income um, approach or you know solution to housing yeah. is that's that's pretty much unquestioned. And this like 
So in the, you know, in the 60s, there was like this investment in public housing, um, and that's no longer the case. And it's important to point out that people, you know, they, they do this kind of, um, like a misremembering where they're like, oh, well, public housing is like, it's inherently bad yeah. and it's always mm -hmm. gonna deteriorate and it's gonna concentrate yeah. all of the worst elements of society. Right. But when you go back to like, you know, these histories of tenants rights organizing, the reason why public housing failed was not because there was something inherently wrong with it, it's because it wasn't, you know, it wasn't properly um, maintained and that's right. not, and that's right. not about the tenants, um, that's about, um, you know, the state, and um, like the people, like the people are, that are in charge right. of maintaining right. um, the public. So mm -hmm. now people, you you know, there's talk about like, well, you get an individual like a, a voucher. Yeah. And if I'm not mistaken, that's how that's on some level that's how like Section Eight works. Yes. But then because it's left up like to the, the individual, landlord, whether right. or not they're going to take the voucher. Exactly. It's, yeah. And it's a very individualized mm -hmm. yep. approach to the housing crisis. Yep. And the point that I want to make. And, like, it makes me think about what I said about my mama last time, how she's always like, you need to get yourself a government job. It's really important to say that, so while there were a lot of limitations to the civil rights movement, those direct interventions, you know, that they were calling for and the demands that they were putting on the state to provide public and social goods, the, the government-funded and... Um, public things have always they've they've helped to improve black people's right, lives right. and it's not a, it's not a coincidence that any notion of the public is always made to seem dirty right, or um right. bad or just like we've totally like given up on that um as a society and just to keep going with like these like examples of like it's all about your own quote unquote human capital this is where like you know in 1996 bill clinton puts forward that that personal rights and responsibility um act just saying the like you know again going back to the idea of like you know your quote unquote personal responsibility and in order you have to prove all of this stuff in order to get some kind of access yeah. to um public public assistance because think about how even yeah. not even just politicians but like broadly yeah. within like the public consciousness how we think and talk about public, public assistance. assistance right yeah. it's dirty and it's yeah. bad mm -hmm. and even though like percentage like in terms of numbers white women are you know the the biggest the biggest yeah. the business uh, the biggest benefactors or the biggest users of it it's connecting it to like always connecting it to the to black people and then you know using those racist attacks then gets everybody to disinvest right. from any notion right. or idea mm -hmm. um of the public and narrowing it down to, to yeah. like choice and doing things like requiring um drug tests exactly or pregnancy tests right for um for pro like food assistance exactly or um public assistance and even <sighs> just thinking about you mentioned the thing about drugs like i watch um wolf was it Wolf of Wall, Wall Street? Street? Yeah. And I mean, they just did coke, coke yeah. left yeah. and right. Yeah. And you know what's wild is that, um, so you know, I used to work in chemical dependency and most of the hard drugs have like um, half-lives of like 48 hours, 24 hours. They'll be out of your system before you even get tested. Right. But, but stuff like marijuana that people are like more widely using and that have more medical benefits. Like, we know that marijuana um, reduces symptoms of anxiety. Right, right, we right. know this. Yeah. This is, like, fact and proven. Um, but you're criminalizing that, and it stays in, uh, it's stored in fat cells. So right. it stays in your body for 30 days. So I could have smoked last month. 
but you're forcing me to take a drug test in order to get this public assistance. So, and someone who used cocaine last week won't test exactly. positive. You know, it's exactly. just, it's so classist and even that. And I won't go into how, like, how I feel about marijuana, but go ahead. We, go ahead. <laughs> well, I was just thinking, like, the whole reason that it's even, um, the whole reason it was criminalized was racist. Of course. And now the whole decriminalizing of it is also racist. Because now that we've locked up all the black and Mexican folks for weed. Right. Now, now we have them in prison so we can start, like, this mass market. Just uh-huh. what you're talking about. This neoliberal. We can make weed. We can overprice. Telsha said this to me. We can, um, we can outprice your culture so much to that you can't afford it anymore. Right, right. So it's like, so uh, this feels so funny, but like support your local weed man. (laughs) Do not not go to these dispensaries and what the fuck ever's. Very few of them are owned by people of color. Even less of them are owned by black people. But yet, like from the 70s forward, black, black and Mexican populations were most heavily hit with, like, these little petty drug charges, including marijuana. And you're locking people up for intent to distribute and all this shit or for very little quantities while, like, people who don't look like us, who are coked out of their minds, Indeed. get to, like, rise to right, right. public office. Yeah. So, <sighs> I said I wanted to rant today. I, I, I'm <laughs> loving every second of it. Um, so, the last thing... Well, there's two other things I wanted to say, but the the next thing that I wanted to talk about is that because the idea of competition is so huge in um, neoliberalism is that this is where the idea actually, um, I feel like bears, um, it bears out in reality. So there's all the ideas about kind of connected to our last point about winners and losers. Mm-hmm. And it's like, if you lose within um, competition, um, there, there are there are going to be winners and losers in in society, right? But I think that, and we see that, right? Um, over the last thirty to forty years of neoliberal capitalism, there's been some serious losers, mm-hmm. right? We've seen, like we talked about, uh, school closures mm-hmm. that um, that have happened. People's wages have um, dwindled, um, you know, precipitously. Um, the rise of mass incarceration. Mm-hmm. Um, there have been losers, mm-hmm. you know, people have lost, you know, in, in this, um, in this political economic regime. But, um, the, the question is, what is the, what is the explanatory uh, force? Why does it happen? And they'll say it's because these people didn't do enough. They didn't advance their human capital. They didn't, <laughs> you know, they made bad, you know, again, individual choices yeah. instead of saying, um, the crisis, you know, the response to the crisis, the economic crisis of the 70s, instead of, you know, deregulating and privatizing, it should have been. And, it, you know, a lot of us are still fighting for um, a reinvestment mm-hmm. in, in any kind of notion of, like, the public so people can have, like, dignity um, in their lives, right? Mass incarceration is yeah. not... should. Yeah. That's the only... Like, Mark Lamont Hill said, that's the only public housing... The, the that, state has yeah, invested in yeah. in the last 30 to 40 years, yep. right? Um, investing in our public mm-hmm. schools, that should have been the response, yep. right? Jobs with right. dignity mm-hmm. and that have some kind of protection in the workplace, uh, particularly something like um, 
um, a union, right? And so it's like society, and the, the other point, point is that that's actually not inevitable. There doesn't have to be winners and losers um, in society, mm-hmm. right? When, when things and people and communities are actually um, invested in. Just the last, the other point that I wanted um, to make just about choice, and you know, y- y'all know I always, um, I often look at things um, through a labor lens, is that it's so absurd to talk about choice and think about employment. Mm-hmm. Like, sure, you could, you know, theoretically decide not to work or like be unemployed, but like your your whole life would be decimated. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's mm-hmm. difficult. They like I said in another episode, the only thing worse, you know, than being exploited under capitalism and it's not it's being, not being exploited. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's the is you know between being employed versus mm-hmm. unemployment. And one of the things I just want to touch on is that there's this anytime you've signed a job, you've signed on to a job, you've normally signed on to something that says that you're an you're um it's at will employment. Yep. Right. And that means that they can get rid of you and they can at fire you time. for any and the logic of it and, and it's important because this this point about choice is really key here because the logic from the employer side, they say you have free free reign to go anywhere. And so because the worker has free reign to go anywhere and to do anything, then the employer should have the same free will to get rid of, to get rid of workers. And it's like, do, do I really? I mean, think about yeah. a place, I mean, yeah. we don't have to look very far. Mm-hmm. Think about a place like Syracuse. Mm-hmm. And going, again, going back to the idea of choice, I don't have yeah. the, cho- the choices to find yeah. good employment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Where I mm-hmm. where I can work a set one job yeah. and not have to work two, two precarious yeah. jobs, mm-hmm. you know, with a ridiculous schedule. That like those those choices are actually very constrained mm-hmm. um, in the society mm-hmm. uh, that we live under. Yeah. And the only, and I just want to go back, um, just going back to Reagan. One of the key things that he did that um, I didn't know about this until I was older. Like one of the first things that he did was he he led this vicious attack on the um what is it it's the patco workers it was like it was the the air traffic control workers mm-hmm. and they had this like this huge uh strike and like reagan was vicious in his attack um on that on on those group of workers and it and it's really devastated labor like ever since then and it really sent a clear you know a sent a clear message that organized workers fighting for better working conditions um like like that was not going to be tolerated mm-hmm. you know in in what we now know yeah. as um um neoliberalism but i just want to like this is i think it's a term that we've used um on the show often and i just wanted to try to define some of these terms um and concepts I hope it. Uh, hope y'all got it. And if y'all got questions, hit up the questions. The inbox. Use the hashtag yeah. QueerWalk or hit us up mm-hmm. in uh, the inbox. Wow. I'm just like seething with anger right now. You I'm be. so fucking mad. You should be. I'm just thinking about like how every. Well, I, f- I think I feel like this a lot. And, and most of the time, my anger, like, moves me to do stuff. But just, like, every part of that impacts my life. Yeah. Like. Well, it seems like you need to develop your human capital. <laughs> I'm kidding. I don't believe that. Fuck Gary Becker and anybody <laughs> that loves him. Well, thank you for that word, Nikita. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> so what you want to talk about with this topic? We talking about spiritual things. Uh, sure. It's funny that like you talked about neoliberal capitalism and 
now you want to talk about spiritual things because this year, I guess I've decided to like draw the line. I think I've been falling off for like six years now, but I'm really drawing the line that I don't need to celebrate Christmas anymore. Okay. Um, Say more. Well, it's never been a, a religious practice for me. Right. Um, I think it's a important time of the year. I was actually reading something. I can't remember who posted it, but they were just like, like to be to be black and queer is like to live with these contradictions that like, uh, so Thanksgiving was one of the only times of the year that like enslaved folks got to not, not have to work because everybody's attention would be on dinner. And, um, you know, with like Christmas being like some like celebratory thing, but being queer, being like left out of sure, like a lot of the religious rhetoric around it. And so I, whoever was writing that, I can't remember who. Um, but then I was thinking when my family, Christmas was never really um, Christian, even yeah. though, it, you know, it had like those uh, roots, but it was always a, more about family. Yes, yeah, same. Like, Definitely. A celebration same. of really like we ended another year. Yeah. It is what it felt like. And um Christmas thinking about Christmas also brought up a lot of stuff for me around you know, I have a dedicated, hard working ass mama who did the best she could living in poverty with three yeah. children. Um and and Christmas was always a time of the year where she felt like a failure as a mom. Mm. No matter what earth she bent to get us to where yeah. we needed to be because we didn't have whatever under the Christmas tree or because we didn't even have a fucking tree. Yeah. You know, it was just like, um, it was, it was just constant, like in her face that she was somehow failing as a yeah. mom because she couldn't provide these like materialistic capitalistic, um, markers of success sure. for us. And I, I, I just remember, I think I was like in seventh or eighth grade telling her like, I don't care about any of that yeah. stuff. Like you, we got a roof over our head. We got electricity, which was a rarity, you know, <laughs> seriously. Um, you we're know, good. yeah, I'm like, we're good. We understand. Um, and I also started working really early. So it was just like, okay, if we could get a pair of sneakers and some CDs, like we're fine. And always, I don't know. I guess I felt, I felt always like I had to alleviate my mom's guilt around not being a good enough yeah. parent because the way capitalism like constructed and mandated that everybody be getting, things getting things around sure. this time and so yeah kwanzaa gonna be lit kwanzaa gonna be lit yeah because you know kwanzaa is that it's it, it was um and i think i talked about this on our last episode too that my mom let me like celebrate yeah. kwanzaa and stuff like okay um but it is like that celebration of who you already are right it's like you don't need anything else you can just do it with you your people, whoever they are, like, gather them, call them together. Yeah. You got seven candles, you good. You know? Like, and that... I think that's also how I approach spirituality is... Mm. Uh, I remember I had a roommate, trash-ass roommate, um, but she <laughs> she was a Buddhist, and she told me that, like, the reason why her family was Buddhist is because of just this this basic belief. Like, a lot of other religions believe that the power you need for eternal happiness, love, and life is outside, outside of you. Outside of you, yeah. Buddhists believe that the, the eternal power you need is inside of you. Right. She's like, that's as plain as it is. Shit. And that's exactly how I feel about whatever my practice is now, mm -hmm. is that, like, my life feels so much more meaningful knowing that I have the power to yeah. change things. And yeah. That, like, it is within me, you know? Like, what is that quote by, um... Uh, 
whoever it is. I found God in me and I loved her fiercely. Oh yeah, is that yeah. Itazaki? Yes. Um, the, um, for color girls. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that, yeah, I guess that's how I approach it now. And so practices that bring draw me closer to my ancestors mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. feel so they resonate so so much harder with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so. You know, I've been on my Orisha shit. Right. My cat's name is Orisha. Riri. <laughs> Riri. Orisha Rihanna. Also known in the streets as Riri. Yeah, and um, thinking about... I don't know if this is still connected to spirituality, but something that drives and moves me is thinking about all of the people who had to survive in order for me to be here. Yeah. Like, that just excites me sometimes. And even though, like, my great-grandmother and my grandmother... Um, like aren't sure. physically yeah. here to see like all the things that I'm doing. There's some moments where I literally feel like they're like walking next to me, yeah, and they're still excited about stuff that I'm doing in life. And uh, so any any practice that draws me closer to that and that belief in that. And so I was I was also thinking about I can't. It was sometime in college. Where I used to always talk about how superstitious my family was. Mm. Um, and so my grandma was Baptist, Christian. and But she had all of these ways of... I, what podcast was I listening to? But they were talking about, like, um, your grandma would say she was Christian, but do all these things that don't fall under right, Christianity. Exactly. And that's exactly what my grandma would do. So um, I remember every night before my spelling test, she would put... My spelling words under, under my your pillow. pillow. Yeah. And she'd be like, you know, <laughs> you'll remember it like yeah. this. And I'm just like, that ain't no part of that's like <laughs> that's like mysticism and witchcraft. Yeah. And in the best ways, right? I think sure. people people talk about like witchcraft in like this negative way. Because it's what we did and they demonized it. They took it from us. Um and you know, I read this book called I Tichaba. Black Witch. Yeah. And you know, so like all of that. Um all of that. Yeah, all of that. And um Went to this talk. I'm forgetting everybody's names today. It's because I've had a shit day. But I went to this talk. Uh, it was called The Hexing of Donald Trump. Mm. I, did you hear about that? Talk? Well, it was this woman. I have to pull her name up because I can't just say that. Her name is Aisha Beliso de Jesus. And it's called Brujeria as a Collective Action, The Hexing of Donald Trump. And uh, just like going to that talk and listening to her talk about <laughs> the the things that we manifest as like black and brown women mm-hmm. that get us through. So she was telling the story of this one brujeria who woke up every morning and tweeted, fuck Donald Trump, I hate you, die slow. And she was like, I would just tweet that every morning. And then I started to realize like, that's a lot of toxic energy that I'm putting out. I need to like channel this and harness this energy. And then like leaving like, uh, the remnants of uh, <laughs> like everything like at police stations and at like so not just sending it out yeah. like randomly but like adding him channeling or yeah channeling and like the power that's in that the power in words how words are vibrations and all this stuff and it just really connected with me um she also talked about like the anti-blackness across the diaspora and how like a lot of um latinx folks talk about haiti um, mm. being in the p- quote-unquote position it's in because they use, like, dark magic yeah. to overthrow the French. Yeah. Um, 
And, <laughs> and so she just like turned that on its head and was just like, no, that's actually um, anti-black, right? right? And and to think about like, oh, you brought this on yourself. The reason why Haiti is in the position it's in is because of what you were talking about, like this global system of capitalism. Yeah. And it's like, now that you've uh, overturned that system, you are forever indebted to us. Yeah, and so exactly. Right, so instead of the French being like, you're right. We lost. We took this L and going the fuck home. No, now this tiny little country has to pay has to pay the price in debt, right? Yeah, for for freeing themselves from enslavement. Yeah, and she was talking about like what what is evil about that? Like right. where is the evil? Right. You know, like like nobody ever talks about white magic as something demonic right, or evil. Right. But all the practices of black people like sure. across the globe have been demonized. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah. And so, as she was talking through stuff, it reminded me of things that my grandmother used to do. Like mm-hmm. throwing salt yeah. over her shoulders or like leaving salt at doorways to keep negative energy yes. out. One of our friends, Yanira, when I was doing the healing space, I had uh, Florida water or she calls it Agua Florida. That my grandma used to use. She used to mix it with her genate and like put it behind her ears because it keeps like evil energy away mm-hmm. from you. And when I met Yanira, who's Dominican, she just like burst into she, tears. Right. And, and I remember this that connection, this diasporic connection Indeed. that black women do across the globe. Like I didn't fucking know her grandma used this too. Right. But our grandmothers had like that astral connection uh-huh. to this water to keep negative energy away. I feel like I've been going on and on, but this is good. Um, I have an altar. You do. I was waiting on you to talk about it. (laughs) I don't know what to say about it. Oh, now you want to be coquettish? No, I really don't know what to say about my altar. Um, what's on it? What do you have on the altar? Altar. Um, on my altar, I have I have things from my ancestors, my direct ancestors. So I have, um. The only, I guess, uh, like keepsakes I have from my great grandmother, from my grandmother, from aunts who have passed away. Um, yeah, so I have stuff like that. I have things like these dolls that my mom makes. Um, right. Yeah, I remember those. She's always made these dolls. They've come in different iterations, and uh, so I have some of those on my altar. I have all of my. Uh, my spiritual rocks, as I call them, <laughs> like my crystals and stuff. Uh, sage, which is like a staple. A staple. Because I, I really believe in that, like energy transfer stuff. I get headaches when I'm around certain people, namely white men. So, like, <laughs> you know, I gotta get, I gotta get that energy off me, and I have to clean it before I come in my house. Um, what else do I have on my altar? I have a lot of uh stuff from. Uh, like places that I've traveled and things I like energy. I don't, I can't explain it, but it's like items that have grabbed me. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. like I was in Spain and I passed out at the, this tomb of some like horrible person from history. And I didn't know who this person was, but I, I, I've passed out twice in my life. Once when I broke a rib and once at this dude's tomb. Oh shit. And so um, I was just like, what happened here? And so when I came to, um, and the medics were talking to me. They were just like, oh, yeah, this guy basically tried to um, exterminate black people from Spain. God And this was, this was happen- happening, I, I, maybe I'll have my times mixed up, but I'm pretty sure the medic was telling me that it was happening around the same time 
as like Hitler. So he was like basically taking pointers from the Nazi regime to try uh-huh. to exterminate black people in Spain. Is this Franco? Yes, Franco. Yeah. yeah. And so, and in his tomb, I passed out. And I was like, bitch, what? Like, I never even knew this. You know, I'm my black ass <laughs> coming from Auburn and Alabama. <laughs> I didn't know this shit. I'm like, what? Um, and he's like, yeah. So, and, and a lot of people had told me like there's basically no black people around here because of like the history or whatever. Um, but then like after I sort of like came back to it, we went to this gift shop and this old lady was sitting there making these coasters with like designs on it. And she was like, oh, look, they're like your skin. And they not like my skin, <laughs> but, right. but it's, it, it had like different shades of brown on it basically. Mm-hmm. And just to see her making it with her hands, it just, I just bought some yeah. and I took it. And so that like those coasters remind me of that moment that like. I felt like something happened to where my ancestors knew I was going to this man's tomb and prevented me from going in. Right, right, like, right. Like, no, like, bitch. Like, <laughs> Not on my watch. <laughs> and Shut I just, it down. I just passed the fuck out, like, right there. Um, and, you know, everybody's like, oh, she was dehydrated. It's really yeah. hot here. But, like I said, I don't pass out. Like, right. that's just not something that I do. And so... That really stood out to me. And those coasters, like, sort of represent that for me. Mm-hmm. So I have those. And then, you know, I have the typical stuff like Orisha. Yeah. Um, tarot card decks. Um, and for those of you who don't know what Orishas are, because I feel like I, I keep saying that word. They're, okay, how do, it's, I feel like it's a long explanation. Um, <laughs> no, it's so, not. Just like a quick, like a quick little definition. Um, okay, so Orishas are like the physical manifestations of the powers and the ways of the earth and our ancestors. Does that make sense? That sounds good. That's okay. right. So um so they're basically like human humanoid forms of the power of the earth and right. our and those who have passed on before us. So I've been doing a lot of like uh, learning about the Orishas lately and um, learning about the practice of Ifa, which is uh, an African ancestral religion, uh, closely related to Santeria mm. and Vodun or Voodoo. Um, yeah. And so I made my own cards because to me it's always important to do that. I don't know why. To like so, make something your own, reclaim it? Yes. Yeah. Make it like, make it work for you personally. Right. Sure. It's like my hand. So sure, I have the book, The Power of the Orishas, written by some like Latinx dude. Yeah. Who thank you for writing the book, but that ain't my ministry. But you, you know you don't like, you don't need an intermediary right. or a guide to be able to um commune with your ancestors. Come on, Nikita. So I made uh like a my own deck. Oh my basically. god! I we should. Um, I want to put these on our Instagram. I'll put them up on the Instagram when the episode comes out. But yeah, so I basically did one for, um, well, for, there's thousands of Orishas, but there's I would say ten principal ones that you might hear a lot of people talk about. I know when Lemonade came out, everybody was talking right. about Oshun. Yeah, uh, because Beyonce pretty much like did a sort of Oshun tribute with her yellow dress and the water at her mm-hmm. feet. Um, talking about, like, fertility and things like that. But I did one for each. Yeah. 
And uh, I don't know how many folks are also familiar with Princess Nokia, but a, a lot of her music has um, also like Orisha's named in it. Um, there's also a group called EB, which is actually uh, the twin Orishas. And yeah, so it's twin sisters. Twi- right. Yeah. And they, they sing a lot about the Orishas as well. So I feel like I'm always giving music rep. <laughs> recommendations but yeah if you want to check those out to learn about the orishas too and yeah i'll post these i didn't want to because you know i'm not i'm not no artistic hoe yes you is i was i just really loved listening to um (coughs) excuse me everything you just said because um like i remember when we got this question i was like i don't know what i can say about you know spirituality and that kind of thing. But what I think it's, I feel like it's interesting for me to think about my, I guess I would call it my kind of like, it's been a bit of a process. And there's, and I think within the process, there's really been a lot of like deep, like reflection. Mm -hmm. So I like, I didn't really grow up. I mean, my family is, uh, you know, they're black, they're Baptists. Mm -hmm. And you know, that's, that's what they were. Uh, that's what they are. Um, that's how I was raised. But like we were, we uh, really weren't like steeped in or like deep off mm-hmm. in the church. But there was parts of the church, like, and I really thought that I would have like these really moving experiences mm-hmm. in church. And it sounds really ridiculous, but ninety nine percent of those times that that was happening, I was feeling something. I was moved in a very deep way. It was related to the music. Yes. And and yeah. there was and there was these mm-hmm. like um like and there was like I realized there were so many and even to this day, so I, I don't I don't particularly would identify as being or consider myself to be religious or uh quite honestly, um, to be spiritual, but there were these things about for all the problems that exist uh with churches, um in particular, you know, sometimes black churches, there was this there's a way of like black people relating to each other that I really deeply yes. um enjoyed. And I remember like coming to um like an undergrad, you know, taking these African American studies classes mm-hmm. and they would be like, Oh, a <coughs> excuse me, a ring shout and they'd be like, That's a, yeah. a traditional yeah. you know you know, as as syncretized, you know, Western and like African, you know, way of of spirituality, mm-hmm. and I was like, it's ring shout. I was like, that's like you mm-hmm. you see a video of that, and you're like, I've seen something very similar to something like that happening in like in a church, you know, and the, even like the like the silly things that we tend to make fun of, like people falling out, laying yeah. out on hands. Yeah. Like, I realized that that stuff like was actually really meaningful me, mm-hmm. meaningful to me, not in any kind of like. Um, like supernatural or like spiritual way, but it was very much a cultural right. thing for me. And I've realized, and it's I've never thought about it until I moved to Syracuse. But and it was only moving to Syracuse where, I, like, for some reason, it just dawned on me that oh, I've lived my whole life in the South. Yeah. Um, and I always joke that um, I'm like eighty five percent, you know, philosophically like materialist. So I I don't particularly believe that there's too much. Like, I, I don't necessarily believe that there's a lot of things happening in the supernatural world. Mm-hmm. And so I, that's mostly me. But there's always this that 15% of me, that's us old Southern black woman that's just like, well, you just can't be fucking around with too much <laughs> shit. And, you know, <laughs> there might be some there might be some shit happening deep off in the, in, you know, in the other world. In the cosmos. Right. And so, um, and honestly, I think I've kind of like, so I really appreciate these things 
from like a cultural uh perspective because mm-hmm. it's like I like these and it like it's interesting and I think the reason why I felt not that I necessarily needed like the academy to like validate this stuff but when I was reading these things yeah. like in the academy I was like oh look this is culture because yes. I remember like growing up thinking yes. Say it, like I remember like growing up around like a lot of folks um who are um there's like a lot of uh, folks from like Panama, Mexico, and like other places like in my high school, and like, and I remember thinking, how come like I I, I used to think you know in my colonized days, oh I wish I had a culture, right? And I'm like oh but there's like I don't have like a you know a quote unquote like homeland or something, but right. then I realized there's all these things like there's all of these like black cultural mm-hmm. practices yes. that I've that I've been like steeped in, yeah. admired in, that I've never thought that there's something very specific never saw them as and culture, unique and right. beautiful like mm-hmm. about those things. Yep. And so even um so again I don't necessarily believe in these things um uh, from like a spiritual perspective, but I feel like I have a deep like admiration and appreciation uh for things. Like even everything's like like all the things that you're talking about, uh, that you just talked about so movingly and eloquently from like a very deep um like cultural mm-hmm. um perspective. I remember uh, being at a fusion once with you, and there was somebody, uh, a younger, a, a queer, a baby, a baby, gay, a baby gay, um, talking about like wanting to find where they were from in Africa, and I think that was when uh, the first time I ever heard you say like, because and they said that right because I want to have a culture, and and you said like, a, a black American experience is a culture, and. I don't know why, but that just pushed my wig back hearing you say that because there are so many things that I overlooked as like, this is a part of my culture and specifically spiritually. Yeah. Like, um, like downplaying things and calling them superstitions, you know, sure. instead of like spiritual practices. Yeah. And, you know, all this ritual that, that my grandmother, my mom, my great grandmother had around things. Right. You know, you can't just take no meat out the pack and throw it in a pot. You got <laughs> this and this and like it's all this ritual around things where it, that's it feels like like giving honor to the animal that gave its life. I know that's kind of deep, but like giving the animal that gave its life for you to have yeah. a meal and this is like poor folk doing this. Exactly. You know? So um yeah, I'm it just made me. Off. I think I I remember that fusion. I think that I remember the example that I gave. Like, cause like, and again, this is something I never thought twice about. Whenever my mama would like comb my hair or brush yeah. it, like we were always supposed to throw the hair into the toilet and yes. flush it. Yeah, because it was bad luck yes. to so, throw it in the yes. trash. And I was just yeah. at my house the other day yeah. cleaning out my pick, and I was like, "Don't you throw that shit <laughs> yeah. in that trash can?" Yeah, it's bad luck. Right. And my mom used to always braid our hair on the stoop. And she'd be like, you need to get your hair because if a bird gets it, if you'll a get a headache. Gets, yes. You know, or like all these things. Like that is that is culture. Exactly. And it is spirituality. And I think we, we like overlook so much of those things. Yeah. And I, so that that also feels like an ancestral worship and practice to me because these things have survived um, through yeah. like the unimaginable of conditions. Right. Like, I remember when we were in Harlem and we went to that um, building that they wouldn't let us walk through. But that little card that I got was saying, like, that was a um, an enslaved people's burial ground. Right. And um, so I was reading the card one day because I was cleaning out my car and I found it. And it says something about, like, the, the muscle had been ripped from the bone. Like, people were working so hard. Damn. And, like, the amount of, of effort you have to exert to cause that kind of damage is like yeah. extreme right and of course this was this was doing like a 
uh, atrocities of slavery narrative, but it also made me think about, but but we still here, like right. through all of right. that. And not only are we still here, but we're, what does Alexis Pauline Gum say? We are fragrantly alive in the yeah. sight of our ancestors. Yes. So like, not just did I um, subsist, but I survived. Yeah. Like all of those little practices of throw your hair away when we combing it out. Right. Them, like that's still here. Through all, through, through all the unimaginable. Right. So. I remember yeah. I was like taking some class. It was like some bullshit anthropology class. And we watched this, <laughs> and we were watching this video and there was like a ceremony. It was like, it was like the people and cultures of West Africa. And I don't remember where it was, but I remember watching this video and I remember just like, I remember just being laughing so hard internally because one of the cultural practices uh, that one of these groups was engaging in was like pouring out a beverage after <laughs> after somebody they had passed. For the and I was like, them niggas is pouring out liquor for the homies. <laughs> and I re- and it was so funny. <coughs> excuse me, because like you know there was a discussion after you know after the video, and the professor was like, so what interesting things did you see in that? And I was just going left and right, and, I, yeah. and there was all these things, and I was like, it yeah. like it goes back to what you said. There's something profoundly yeah. amazing mm-hmm. that that not only has it that kind of cultural practice has crossed like the ocean has yeah. crossed geography, but has been able to like cross like yeah. time. Yeah, right. That that's amazing. And like. Be so colorful, vibrant, and and beautiful. Yeah. Because, like, when you were talking about the music, it also made me think about, uh, I used to think I couldn't meditate. Because that, like, silence or that slow, calming, soothing music, it always made me anxious. But if I turn on, this is going to sound so funny, because today I was feeling, like, anxious in between sessions. And I can't remember which Migos it is. Somebody gonna flame me for that. But one of them has this, I think it's Takeoff. He has this song called Intruder, Intruder, <laughs> Intruder. <laughs> and then that's it. That's the whole hook. <laughs> it's just like over and over again. Intruder, Intruder. And you a, never know who's an intruder. Intruder. It's intruder. A and it's meditative. You can, you can meditate I can, that. I can completely clear my mind to a trap beat or a trap song. Like the repetitiveness. Sure. The the bass, like the vibe, the literal vibration of yeah. it, that's meditative and soothing and calming to yeah. me. Not like these, like flute sounds, <laughs> you know, because like, that shit ain't that ain't where I'm from. Right. Like if you give me a heavy beat, like I I remember once when I was in high school, I used to always ride around in cars because that's what you that's do what in you high do school. in high school. Yeah. Um. And so I remember I always wanted an Impala. Wow. <laughs> Wow. Because I was a hood nigga. But um, this this dude um, that I used to ride around with, he had, like, these huge speakers, right? But I fell asleep in the back of his car once. And I remember my uncle coming to get me, like, how the hell could you fall asleep with these, like, speakers? And I'm like, because it's soothing. It was like a lullaby. Yeah. It rocked me like, to sleep. Like, that that vibration, it just is soothing. Yeah. But I think that's a that's an ancestral tie to drums. That oh my that fucking god! That was another thing in that video. Yeah, the, the, the drums. drums. <laughs> god damn! And the ass shaking. Oh, like whoa! That. Yeah, <laughs> that quake and ma- and made the ass shaking stay with us in perpetuity, <laughs> if I may say so myself. As as a as a practice, of course. As a like. yeah, spiritual practice. <laughs> Nothing lewd or salacious. <laughs> Yeah. Huh. 
And it's it's almost like it's um, innate. I love those videos of babies like dancing. Yeah. Yes, because they just there's something about like black kids that know how to move to a, a beat. That of yeah. A drum sound. Yeah. For sure. I've dated a DJ before. And of course you have. Shut the fuck up. Um, and and uh, so there's 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 like a set of drums that repeat. Um, Throughout like black music, uh-huh. um, so the most the easiest one that uh, I can think of is uh, the Trigger Man beat from Bounce Music. So it's like dun 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 dun, like it's just like uh-huh. a, it's almost like an uh, a fingerprint of drums across different black music. And so for hip hop, it would be like the boom bap, like the boom bap uh-huh. boom boom uh-huh. bap boom. Yeah, right. like that. It's it's like a. An imprint, right? And I and there's so there's like six six specific ones that repeat over and over in yeah. a lot of different types of music, and there that is not an accident. Like I th- I just think that like drums are are just the sound of blackness, and the the way that it imprints over and over again yeah. is just the way that we pass down like our rhythm. It's in my it's in our DNA. No no kin- <laughs> no Kendrick. No, <laughs> that was a better conversation about spirituality than I thought it was. Yeah, because be. you were being a stank ass hoe about it. Because I was just thinking, um, uh, okay, this might sound mean, but I think a lot of times people submit topics hoping to hear like a trauma narrative yeah. around something, uh, especially when it like when queerness intersects with religion and spirituality, yeah. and that's why I was so excited about Amira's. Uh, submissions because yeah. they weren't that. Yeah, she, it wasn't like, "Hey, tell me your like trauma." Yeah. basically. Because, um, to be honest, I don't have trauma around religion and right. spirituality. Like, I, I don't. Every every experience that I've had with different kind of religions, not just um, you know, the Baptist uh, yeah. church that my grandmother was a part of, uh, was. It feels like it's always been like an open space and. I won't go as far as to say affirming of queerness, yeah. but definitely like tolerant. Yeah. <laughs> of, so. And because, you know, it's queers is all up and through the church. What? I mean, your point is, I'm so glad that you brought that point up because it's like, anytime I talk about like my relationship to like religion or spirituality, mm-hmm. like my, like my story is not very like exciting. Yeah. Like, I mean, the, the reality of this sounds um, I mean, it's more of me being a nerd than anything. It's like, oh, I was like, and maybe this would be another word that we'll define on the show one day. It's like, once I started to like get into, so, so for me, it's like a philosophical question. And it's mm-hmm. like, like, it wasn't the fact that like people in the church, you know, said or did anything like that. I was like, I just increasingly started to realize that all of the like the powers, it's kind of like what you were saying um, earlier. All of the things that we want to project onto a God actually yeah. don't make like right. for me that actually it shows to me anything mm-hmm. more about like how we view ourselves and more about yeah. humanity. And I'm yeah. like, I don't need to look in the, I don't need some kind of supernatural or uh, out, something right. outside of like our physical world for me to make sense of like myself and my relationship to others. And like that, that's why I was like, Oh, like I'm not, um, I'm not, I'm not religious and or like particularly like mm-hmm. spiritual. And the word that I was going to use not to sound like a total uh, nerd is like, so this is what we mean in the philosophical sense when we say that it's like a, a being a materialist. So it's not about like 
you know, the material goods and that kind of thing. But it's like the physical world, like, is knowable through our own like senses. Yeah, it. yeah. So what you just said, I had to pull it up because I'm like, what podcast was it? It was the reparations podcast that I was listening to, oh. um, and they were so where they were talking about um, like this and religion and like how their thoughts about like God um, sort of developed. And so what you were just saying also reminded me, I think this was also the little um, budding black feminist uh-huh. that my, my grandmother would sometimes drag me and my cousins to church with her. But then we showed out so much, she stopped doing that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but <laughs> Mission success. <laughs> um, uh, so they would always talk about like he and him, right? Uh-huh. And, and using these masculine pronouns, talking about like the father, the son, the pastor was a man. It was just a very patriarchal sure. space. And so on the reparations podcast, they were talking about like, um, what is it called? Benevolent patriarchy. Yeah. Sure. And like how that, that actually can exist because in all this thing. Right. And so like the inherent, of course, I wasn't using these words, but I think I was in fifth grade the last time I went to church. <laughs> like, uh, I wasn't using the word misogyny, but I just remember having this moment of being like, the women keep the doors open here. Mm. Like, you know, and I and I remember my grandma pinching me too, but I'm just like, there was this one woman, um, I, if somehow somebody knows this lady, it would be funny, but, or maybe it's a Deaconess Miller at every church, but Deaconess Miller... She was that church. Like yeah. she opened the doors yeah. whenever it was. She like she did everything in that church, and there was never any acknowledgement of her. Right. And so I don't even remember what this um program was that I was at. I but I remember it was the last time I ever went to church, and I just like stood up and just like screamed and Deaconess Miller too. <laughs> And my grandmother pinched me so hard on the arm. But it's just like, I was so sick of everybody talking about, like, the father and, um like, you know, all praise to be to yeah. the pastor and, and sometimes the first lady, you know. But I'm just like, digging this Miller keeps this bitch open. And y'all ain't said shit about her. That is she so drove funny. the church van. She did, <laughs> like, she was, she was over Bible study. Everything exactly. playing the organ that is so true though. Printed the newsletter and, yeah. and there was just no acknowledgement of her and that that would always hurt me. Mm. Like to see a congregation full of black kids and black women being like told to give yeah. power and respect to like when they're when they're the ones do, doing right. the on the ground work to keep right to keep the whole uh, shebang afloat. Right. God damn. And that's the black ass bottom line. That's. I love that. We got to start using that more. (laughs) And that's the black ass bottom line. (laughs) And drop the intro. No, I'm joking. (laughs) Wow. This is almost two hours. Do we have, should we do Curve Chronicles? Should we just go ahead and wrap it up? Uh, We'll wrap it up. (laughs) (laughs) I got to start with Amigos. I love it. It adds it adds charm and character to We'll the, wrap it up then. I was about to say to the not the program, the show. I, do you want to do I think we should do curved crime. Okay, let's do it. Because I I got so much anxiety when we didn't do it that okay, one day. Okay, let's do it. All right. This is just a long episode. It'll okay. be fine. Okay. <laughs> okay. So I wanted to tell you about my curve chronicle first because it's 
sad. Tell me. But I know you'll laugh. Oh, I can't wait. So I was in recess, which is for those of you who are not in Syracuse. A local uh, coffee shop. Recess is like a, a local little coffee place with overpriced burnt coffee. Okay. <laughs> Shots fired. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's a real white like hangout because the neighborhood is real white. Yeah. So when I see other black people, I get super excited. Well, not only did I see other black people, I saw this lesbian couple. What what, what it looked like to me yeah. was a black lesbian couple. And I almost texted you, but then I saw who I think is your therapist, and I didn't text you. I was she know. a part of the couple? No. Oh, okay. No. But I just thought that too many black lesbians in recess, and it would explode. It would have exploded. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I saw them, and, you know, I did my normal, like, creep status thing like try to do something to strike up a conversation to be like hey i'm gay too (laughs) so i was like what are y'all drinking because you know i don't like getting a dark roast because it'd be be burnt Uh um and so one of whatever they said i was like oh that's cool hey i'm montanique by the way and i could tell that they didn't want to have a conversation with me but i really wanted to have a conversation (laughs) with them so you know i introduced myself they didn't introduce themselves they were just like hi montanique and just were, like, looking at me, like, go away now. Um, they were sitting at the back, right? So I'm sitting at the front doing work. You have to pass me to leave recess, yeah. right? I don't know how they did it. They got out. Of, they probably went through the window. <laughs> but they got out of recess without passing me. I really feel like they asked them if they could go through the back door, like the delivery door, just Damn. so they wouldn't have to pass me. Because I set, like, specifically where I was because I was like, oh, they have to pass me to leave. They did not pass me, Nikita. You didn't get up at all? No. But when I went to the back, they weren't there anymore. Wow. And now, and so, you were stalking them. Why do you make everything (laughs) I do negative? Uh, All right. You're right. I'm wrong. I was not stalking them. You're right. (coughs) You were just seeking out... Black queer. Right. Yeah, sure. Community. Yeah. Damn, that's rough. You got bitches crawling out the window? <laughs> um, I think they went out the back door. Okay. But still. That's rough. They went out the back door, and it had to be because of me. Nobody else was acknowledging their presence. Yeah. Damn. Curved. It hurt. It hurt really bad. Cause I'm. Do I have. Do they both have locks? Yes. I know. I think I know the couple. And so it made me wonder. Like, am I the only one who's this starved for an actual community? Like to. Cause so I was watching a bunch of Kwanzaa videos last night of like black lesbians who celebrate Kwanzaa. It's a thing. Look it up. Um, <laughs> and they were all like, "Yeah, we just took turns each night of Kwanzaa at a different person's house." And you know the immediate thought I had. Bitch, it's just me and Nikita. (laughs) Two days, we done. (laughs) And celebration is... Like, all right, we got two mojo. Bitch, that's the first day. We're done. Damn. And and so, it really... Yeah. Them them leaving out the back door just made me wonder, like, am I really the only one? Or maybe everybody else who's black and queer or queer and of color... It's just totally fine with how white the queer community yeah, is here. I think so. I think so. That's just rough, though. 
I, mean, I think we talked about this last episode. I, I think that, again, we're hungry for a very specific kind of community. And I, I don't know if other people are. I mean, I know that. I know broadly speaking there are other people out there. But I think maybe in, like, the people that we're running into, like, on a day-to-day mm-hmm. basis, I don't, I don't think it's necessarily a priority. Okay, do you think I'm older than that couple? If it's the couple that I'm thinking about? Uh-huh. No, not at all. Because I was also wondering if there was, like, a, a age thing. Because um, when I went to the Black Feminist Baddie thing the yeah. other day, I saw a lot of, like, younger uh, queer women of color who were just, like, kicking it with white folks. And so I was like, maybe maybe it is, like, I was the last part of the, <laughs> the millennials who really want, like, Q-Pac spaces mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. intentionally... Um, and exclusively Q-pop. But, I mean, you have to think about um, who goes to SU. Like, I wonder, like, where are folks coming from? Like, I remember, like, a lot of time in Fusion, people are like, this is the first time I've thought about, you know... My race. Of my yeah. race. Or it's like, I always grew up with these people. Now, mm-hmm. people I grew up with, you know, white friends who I've had, now they're saying things that, I, they've, that they've always said, but I'm like, wow, this is actually offensive and it's mm-hmm, really hurtful. Mm-hmm. And so, and I think that that might go to kind of the um the class makeup yeah, of SU yeah. I think is a lot of like um upper uh like middle class uh black and brown folks mm-hmm. that are probably like tr- coming in more and so they're just like I think that their social milieus and social worlds are probably just different than ours have like ever been mm-hmm. so well fuck them and anybody that loves them <laughs> So while Nikita keep trying to kick people out the inbox, I want friends and I love friends. I'm not trying to kick anybody out of the inbox. I just said they should just move it to your personal. (laughs) You act like people was dropping like, I don't know, like booty pictures in the inbox. They were not. It was just, hey, money. That's not what they say. And I'm not finna be putting nobody on blast, but (laughs) the messages are far more flirty than that. I have not flirted in the Queer Walk inbox. Okay. Since you've been a co-host. And I, yeah, and I'm not little and sensitive. All right. (laughs) Moving right along. What's your Curved Chronicle? All right. So, I have a little bit of a Curved Chronicle. It's a big one. I did, I did the curving. Yeah, that's why I wanted you to tell it. So. Because I'm always uh, forever curved. (laughs) I, um. So I ran into this person twice, uh, this woman at uh, this bar, right? Again, and the bar, just for the listeners, is right across the street from recess. So my, I always say my life happens within a, I normally say a half a mile, but it's really like a 0.25 mile radius. <laughs> I wish we were joking. We're, not at all. The bar is right across it's the street. It's right, right across the street. So I've been to this bar. Uh, I go to this bar often and... um. And so I was there with a friend uh, on two different occasions. And so there's this girl who I've met through a work thing. And, I mean, y'all know how I geek out and nerd out about, like, labor stuff and, like, organizing. And so I met, I met her through a work thing. We did uh, a health and safety training and at, at where she worked. And so she was like, I want to follow up with you about this. And I was like, oh, my God, yeah, we can talk about workers' rights and how to form a health and safety committee. And, yeah, this is great. Let's go. (laughs) My boom boom is so dry. (laughs) Shut up. So I ran into her uh, uh, on one night, and I'm there with somebody else, right? 
And like, we're trying to like have a conversation. And like, she just like sits down. Like she's there with her friend. She just like sits down next to me. And she tells me this story. I don't even, I'm afraid to tell the story that she told me because I feel like it's a small community. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not going to tell the story. But it was really, it was actually really funny. And I thought it was like really hilarious. And so I'm just like booming with laughter. And so she's like, and she's like, oh, I'm glad that you found that funny. And she's like, and she was like, I'm sorry that I'm flirting with you. She's like, I get really flirty when I'm drunk. And I was like, oh, okay. And I was like, I was like, well, you and your friend have a good night. And I'm sure I'll run into you another time. And what did she say? And so, she, and so, but she just, I was trying to do, so I did that. I was like, you know, have a good night. Mm-hmm. I was doing all the things that demonstrate that I want to be out of this conversation. <laughs> So she eventually, you know, gets out of the conversation, leaves me alone. And then, like, two days ago, I get a friend request from her. Oh, my God! I didn't know you... Yeah, I got a friend request from her. And so I see her again at the same bar, because, again, my life has... I'm at this bar often. It's 0.25 miles within the radius of where I live. you live two blocks from I live, yeah. So I'm there again. And so she's like... Hey, how are you? And I was like, I'm good. And she's like, Do you want to come sit with me and my friends? And again, I'm there with someone else right now. And she doesn't like she doesn't know what my relationship to this yeah, other person is yeah. like. And she's just being really flirty. And so she was like, You should come join us. She was like, Come sit with me. And I was like, I, I, I was like, I was like, and I felt so bad because I'm really awkward. You was, and you was uh, anyway, taken. I, the point remains. <laughs> I like I feel like such an asshole because I'm really awkward. And I put up my hand like a stop sign when she asked to come sit with. When she asked me to come sit with her, I was like, no, I was like, I'm fine. And I put up my hand like, no. It was so ridiculous. <laughs> you gave her the crossing guard. I, I did. And so, she, and I was naive. And I was like, is this, and I, was, and I was like, maybe this is, maybe I'm misunderstanding. You've never noticed when people are flirting with I don't. You. And so she was like, I would really love to talk to you about working class issues and workers' rights. And so me. Because she knew that would being a Being a total nerd, I'm like, yeah. I'm like, we can have coffee. I'm like, we can really sit down and talk about how to, like, you know, re- rearrange and shift the conversation. She's like, I want to rearrange and shift, all right? <laughs> like, we can change, you know, the conversation on political economy and poverty and race and working class issues in Syracuse. And and I'm just like prattling on, and I can see her eyes glaze, glaze over. I'm like, bitch, that's not what you want to talk about. You wait a minute, you could sense her disinterest. I mean, I could just see the eyes glazing over there. I was like, okay, now you're going too far into this. And so she was like, and so she asked again, like you know, if we would come over and sit with her. And I was like, I was like, no, I'm I'm fine. So I I probably see her again in another week. In the same, she sent you a friend request. She sent me a friend request, and she was like, "I really, really would love to meet up with you." And I was like, Ooh, "I'm good." The way my organizing is set up, <laughs> right? That's the new curve, right? So, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't date where our grassroots. <laughs> That's funny. I like to do my work on the ground. I was about to say something nasty, but I'm going to stop. <laughs> on the ground, not in the bed? Yeah. <laughs> I think we're done here. <laughs> well, thank you, Nikita, sure. for that lovely Curve Chronicle. Pretty lengthy episode for us. I thought it was going to be like 45 minutes, 30 minutes. I thought so, too, because when we started, I had like two notes on the page. You had a scrap. <laughs> A scrap of a note. Just because I don't take detailed, okay, bullet pointed, 
dog-eared notes like you. Wow. <laughs> you know, I didn't you do not have my permission to to just what? Put my note taking style like that's that the, is a very intimate. I'm sure the listeners know that you are enough of a nerd All to right. like have things color coded. And <laughs> All right, well we hope you all because we're wrapping up here, and I'm about to uh, split Montanique's wig. <laughs> so who knows if she'll be around for the next episode? All right, y'all know where to find us. Uh, catch us in these streets. At Queer Walk Pod. In these streets. Because <laughs> yes. we talked about Jennifer Lewis. Oh, yes, we did. See, full, full circle, bitches. I don't want nobody potting but, with me in these streets. But you have me. I'm potting with you in the streets. Ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, we actually want everybody potting with exactly. us in these streets. So. All right. We're going to call it a wrap, y'all. All right. Peace. Deuces.